vision is to create a healthier, happier industry in construction. That vision is driven by a personal story, which will be discussed in this podcast. So, uh, April, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, ST, for having me on board. Yeah, I'm glad you're uh, you're you're able to come on and be able to talk about how uh, how a female is able to really make an impact in the construction space. Yeah, so that's uh, interesting because you know I went from working at Procter and Gamble and some of these big CPG companies, Starbucks. Um, large sales and marketing brokerage firms to a startup and not just as any old startup, but a startup in construction, which, you know, I know nothing about. And then also it's software development and how that came about is the CEO of DigiBuild, Robert Salvador, used to work with me at Procter and Gamble. He's one of the, I was one of the executives he reported into. And so, you know, after a few years, um, I decided that, Hey, after 21 years in the CPG, um, industry. I was looking for something a little bit different. Rob reached out to me and said, hey, I'm creating this uh, new company, startup company called DigiBuild, and, and I'd like you to come help uh, found that with me. And uh, just for perspective, Rob grew up in construction. He was a big crypto guy, you know, and really understand the use cases for blockchain, which crypto is built on. And when he looked at construction and all the years of watching his dad struggle with getting paid, not getting paid, you know, the industry's fractured and um, and then obviously delays with supply chain, uh, he decided to go and uh, try to build a software uh, that would help meet those needs of the industry, but also solve some of the pain points for his own dad. So that's how we met, came on board, and it's been a it's been a blast ever since. Yeah, given the fact that the construction industry is very, uh, it's going through like an interesting phase because people say they need affordable housing. And I come around here, there's a lot of housing being built. And some people are saying there's nothing going. And some people say there's a lot of activity going construction. Like, where do you assess this? <laughs> Yeah. So when you think about real estate today, I mean, there's markets that are just hopping. If you were to buy real estate down in Miami right now, I mean, the residential is just booming and then the commercial is slowed down, right? Then there's in other areas, like if you think about New York City, there's a lot of repurposing and a lot of commercial going on um, and less residential, unless it's a remodel that's happening. Cause there's a lot of people that, you know, for whatever choices are moving out of the city or, you know, to other states or even just moving somewhere else in New York City. So it really depends on where you're at uh, in the U.S. Like I am, I'm out in Seattle. So Seattle, there's, it's, it's actually doing quite well still out here, not only on the commercial side, uh, but also on the residential. So we're pretty fortunate. So it just depends on where you're at in the country. Yeah, because I had a couple of friends who live here in Columbus right now, and they tell me that their next move is definitely Seattle. <laughs> And that's really <laughs> that, like, a lot of it. They just want to go experience that coastal life. The uh, the quaint. It, I think because of the fact that the weather is somewhat similar in Ohio that, that it is to Washington, and combined with the uh, the, the no state income tax for yes, for, yeah. for Washington, I think. And the yeah. it's a lot. It's a lot of a lot of things coming. Well, I think a lot of reasons. I think they like the cool that. weather, and it's pretty consistent. Like you get a little bit of winter, but you don't get the harsh winters like Ohio, right? And it's right pretty moderate temperature out here the summers are you know what you live for it's 70 75 degrees and it's just beautiful skies it doesn't like everybody thinks it rains here all the time it doesn't um but it is overcast quite a bit in the winter uh time but you know i, I guess i'd rather take overcast any day other than uh, lots of snow uh so yeah and it's a beautiful place the hiking the outdoor activities is just absolutely stunning really hard to beat anywhere in the country and i've lived many places 
And this is where we kind of landed. Right. And how does the how's the pandemic affected the whole construction industry? The uh, especially the adopt uh, the adaptation and of digitization inside the industry itself. Yeah, that's a great question because um, before COVID, so how DigiBuild first launched into um, building out a Digi Procure, we call it a procurement um, software, was in October of 2019. IBM sponsored a huge. Um, innovation summit with us. And, you know, we had our ideas. We we're already building out a uh, project management software, but we wanted to really get feedback from the industry. So we spent two and a half days in closed rooms, just really mapping out what is it that um, the industry really needs. And it was overwhelming. Number one, top thing was supply chains broken. And I just remember this huge wall of all these sticky notes and writing and Everybody behind, uh, you know, little pads writing all their comments and just, you know, all that whole process was broken. And so we decided to focus strictly on supply chain uh, in the supply chain management on the procurement of materials because that is the is the is the one of the number one reasons why projects are late and uh, over budget is because of the procurement. So coming out of define, d- yeah, can you define procurement? Because yeah. for, for especially for not people out there who are not really familiar with how the construction industry works, we just need to we kind of understand we need to understand that Absolutely. one. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So specifically, what DigiBuild does is we'll go out and someone will give us their blueprints, and we have these takeoffs they call them from the blueprints of every possible thing you're going to need to build that particular project, right? That building, that that store, whatever it is, a hotel. And so we take that list and we put it into our system and we go out and bid all of the stuff that, that would be needed for that project from multiple suppliers. And we bring it back within our system for a construction project manager, GC, owner, real estate developer to go in and say, okay, I'm gonna take these bids. And so they choose the bids they want. We Then we order it through the system and then we track it and manage all that tracking, including you know the schedule. So if they say, hey, drywall has to be here on this date, you know, we send a notification to the um, to the customer saying, hey, this needs to get ordered in order for it to be here in three months or 14 weeks or whatever it's going to be, right? The time frame. So our software does all of that for the customer. And, and we just saved one customer $600,000 on a project and 600 hours and man hours that they would typically have to do use to manage all those, the process of calling all the suppliers. Where's this item? Where's that item? We take all that. That could, that could literally save a lot of stress right there because I can, I've, I've been, I've been on many, I've actually worked in real estate before. I've been on construction sites, like just when people, when they were trying to rip it, rip apart a house and rebuild it. And mm-hmm. I remember those those conversations where I'm just listening into some of these workers like, where the heck is the drywall? Where the heck is the plumbing? Where, where when when is this going to come? When is that that going to come? That's like I can tell by their by the stresses on their faces that it's just yeah. I can't they they're, they're I don't know why they keep asking themselves why they joined this industry in the first place. Yeah, well, and you think about a subcontractor who's going out and getting bids for a general contractor and they don't get paid until all this stuff happens and gets there, right? And so the stress for the people at the bottom, it just all that stress just keeps piling up on those that are at the bottom of of the process, the workflow, right? That actually have to go execute. So it is very stressful industry. 
which kind of goes to my story that we had talked about, right? Kind of segues nice into that. Is that? Yeah, hey, wanted. Yeah, let's. You know, let's get to know more about like April, the person who she yeah. is. How did she? How did you become who you are right now? I think you had an interesting story about your about, about your father, who was yeah was in the construction business himself, and there were some issues and all that. Yeah, it is, and so that does segue into that. So my dad, um, he was in construction. He was a cabinet maker. He did a lot of finishing work and he liked what he did. In fact, he was really good at it. Um, and that's in, in construction, there's a lot of people that are in the trades that are really good at their work, but they're probably not the best business people. And they didn't have like software or other things to support them, you know, back in the day as well. But even today, the ebb and flow of work, you know, the seasonality of work, getting paid, not getting paid, um, you know, having to take that burden on as a subcontractor to get product order to make sure it gets delivered on time dealing with the suppliers all that stress that you just you know rightly identified is usually on these subcontractors or these people that are really trying to execute and yet they're they're just well they're wanting to get paid right so that that stress was on my dad and um just watching him you know through winter time when he didn't have a lot of work and his mental health where he was at um he'd get part of the you know he'd get part of the drink culture and now uh, eventually he it just it was just too much and he ended up committing suicide when i was nine um, yeah that's so, uh that's very tragic it is and what was what i learned that i had no clue until i started working for digibuild is that um construction has one of the highest suicides of any other industry i think dentistry actually has the highest out there which is really crazy um but within this industry nobody really talks about it there's not a ton of support out there for it so when we think about what we're building out, it really takes off not only that stress from people, helps them organize, get things, you know, helps organize the subcontractors, whoever you are ordering that product and really makes it a lot easier for you to manage that, that workflow. And then, um, you know, we're building a community here too. So everybody starts getting connected in this community and you get, you, you start building out your credit and reputation, you know, within Digiville, this is a great supplier. These are, you know, all of a sudden there's this whole FOMO, this, you know, of building out people's reputation and understanding who's really good to work with and referrals. So we build this community out with DigiBuild. It's just not about the product. We've offered and um, sent projects, lots of projects to construction companies that come our way. So that's kind of so the I, other benefit. Yeah, I was gonna ask, how did this, how did your father's debt affect you as a young person? Wow. Um, you know, I, we had six kids in our family, right? So my mom, you know, was having to be that support. She ended up remarrying about a year and a half, two years later um, to my stepdad. But um, if you think about, you know, not having a father there, my stepfather really, he didn't, he never had children. So he really didn't know how to be a dad, how to be that nurturing influence. Um, so like for my brothers, um, they ended up being part of the Boy Scouts and they ended up having role models, male role models to support them through life, which was game changing for them. For me, my mom was a very strong person. My grandmother, uh, my grandmother is quite the story. She went back and at, I think it was 75 and got her high school diploma. Um, just decided, you know what, I'm going to go back because when she was younger, she didn't finish school. Um, my, my aunts around me are very strong women. My one aunt in particular, uh, really had a big influence on me. She had a, a country store where, you know, she, um, had a, a deli. Where was this at? Uh, this was in Michigan. This particular, okay. we, we, we lived in Pennsylvania, North, uh, Northwestern Pennsylvania. When my father died, we moved to Michigan. We're, we're in, we're in Northwestern cause I've been all the way up 
until so, uh, Pittsburgh. Yep. So it's north of there. Yep. So Bradford, which is the home of Zippo Lighter and the University of Pittsburgh has a campus there. So okay. it, yeah, it is really on the border. I mean, they've got more snow there than probably anywhere else in Pennsylvania. Cause they've and got- it's uh, home to a lot of, I think it's a heavy blue collar sector of the state. It is. Right? Yes. Yep. There was steel companies, all that. Yep. Very blue collar. Yeah. So I think, I think you're, I think that kind of somewhat explains because the culture was very like, we got to get work done no matter what kind of thing. Was it, yes. was, was it, was the culture like that back then that kind of drove your father into kind of like a deep depression? Um, I really think it was that he couldn't, he couldn't provide for his family and he didn't have access to bigger projects. Right. And so. So it just really, I mean, he tried to do all kinds of stuff in the wintertime. He'd take odd jobs. He'd do painting inside. Um, he would reupholster furniture, you know, as much as he could, you know, do things that you could actually then sell or some type. But he, but what he really loved was working, you know, with his hands outside, framing, doing all that type of stuff. So it was, you know, when you're in the wintertime, it's really tough to get, you know, to get work in that field. And so I think that really had the most impact on him. And then and then when you, you're around other people, my guess is you're around other people, um, it really becomes, it just kind of um, propagates itself, right? You're just, you're all talking about it and it's very depressing. And, and so, um, yeah, I think that's, and there's always other factors that, you know, why people commit suicide. But for construction, there's more suicides in construction than there are uh, injuries on job sites. So that's how significant. That's, that's, a, that's a fascinating statistic because I always, I always hear stories about, in like a lot of construction workers dealing with, let's say they broke their leg or broke their arm or broke, like cut their fingers or something like that, but never really heard about the massive suicide side of things. Yeah, when we were, um, we went through Y Combinator and after we were done, we talked to, I don't even know, hundreds of, um, you know, venture backed capital companies that, um, and one of the things that kept coming out is when we, they'd want to know our story, how Rob and I met, they know the typical stuff, they want to know who are these founders that we're going to be giving our money to. And one of the things that came out when I'd mentioned about that, it was, it was just really telling that somebody there was a lot of those calls where somebody knew somebody in construction that had committed suicide but never really you know dotted the you know made the dots and the lines with the what was the connections or really with what was happening there yeah makes sense and now going forward as you ventured off into your career i'm trying to remember you said you worked in uh you say you worked for procter and gamble right yes yeah what was so you kind of developed those important skills in terms of leadership and management and you know organizational organ, organization so what was though what was that experience like for you it was great i mean procter and gamble is known for their training and onboarding of people into sales and and they take an approach where they they help you to learn everything about the company. So every few years you're moving into a new role. And so you, you get a holistic approach to how to do business with customers. And so their sales training is bar none. It's probably one of the best out there. Um, how they work with customers, their systems, they're always forward thinking. You know, so you think about COVID and everybody's started working from home and wow, this is great, this is wonderful. But it was, I mean, almost 15 years ago, 20 years ago, that Procter & Gamble was one of the first companies that said, hey, we're going to build out these customer business development teams and we're going to have people work from home and we're going to have finance people come out of corporate headquarters and work in these teams so we can really understand the customer's needs, how they operate, and we're going to adapt to be able to meet those, customer, those customers and what we need to be able to deliver to them. And it's absolutely, um, they're spot on, right? They, they know what they're doing. They're really in tune with their customers. It's always customers first. 
And so that's that's where I really learned about how you take care of people, how you listen. Um, PNG did tons of research, you know. So my last role was running North America operations for their largest, second largest customer team. And um, you know, well, that, well, do they have like what what they call a client centric relationship kind of? I see, like you know, you have it's, as you have a you're like I believe this is more like what I call a third party client that they work with, and you know, they kind of enhance their overall business game. Say that again. Uh, sorry, I think let, let me word that question better. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, you have you know when you whenever you let's say for example you have an agency, right? You have you have you're an agent, but then you're servicing like other businesses. You know, help let's say if you're helping out with marketing, helping out with their overall operational strategy or product development or something like that. But let's say does is Procter Gamble like that in a way? Like it has their own external client that they just serve that they help them with their business side of things. Oh yeah, so that's where um, where I was saying they build out these customer business development teams where you're embedded with the customer and you're helping them develop their strategy, right? How to go to market, sharing information, helping them with products. Um, you know, even like, you know, I can think about doing, um, you know, customer marketing research, right? So collaborating with the customer and interviewing, um, you know, the consumer who's coming through those doors and what do they want and really being able to to understand that information. So yeah, it's a it's a huge collaboration, um, especially with the largest, you know, their largest customers, right? Would get entire dedicated teams. Right. And so now let's segue into DigiBuild overall as a company. So you've said, as you mentioned earlier, you started up with, with your co-founder, Rob, and you said, and Rob was the one who had the idea of trying to um, get this company off the ground. Like we will, he wants to solve this construction industry issue. Like what was the, uh, let's say, what was that one reason that, what was that one problem he saw that made him realize that I want to start this company? Um, I think it was his personal experience with his dad and the struggles his dad had. So he had similar stories. His dad obviously didn't commit suicide, but his dad was really taken advantage of, um, didn't have um, access to larger projects, didn't have tools or resources to support him. And Rob saw all those pain points. He worked with his dad and he actually took over his dad's business um, years later and it's still up and going. And so, um, you know, he he really saw those pain points and he was a big crypto fan. So he really saw the use for blockchain to drive transparency because there's not a lot of transparency in construction. It's getting better, but there's, when you have 120 people that are coming from different backgrounds, they're not a team of people. Everybody's an individual contributor, right? Into, into a process, um, you know, this very difficult uh, environment to work in. So all the tools and resources you can have to support that, that ecosystem is going to be a benefit to everybody. Makes sense. And so where, so how did you, um, so what was the process like for you to build this company from scratch? I know once, I mean, one thing I wanted to talk about was the hat, like, was this, was your journey through Y Combinator? Because a lot of, yeah. I've had yeah. one or two startups that I've interviewed before who have gone through Y Combinator. I, I feel like yours has a very compelling story, compelling overall, like a, a compelling mission of why you're, what you're trying to solve. So I feel like that made, made me realize like, well, how did you get through Y Combinator? Yeah. Well, um, you know, for the first question was, you know, what was it like starting up? And we made lots of mistakes. I mean, you look back and you're like, oh, why did we do that? Or we should have pivoted here. You know, our, probably our biggest mistake was trying to build a couple, you know, couple different, um, software at one time versus fo focusing on one at a time. Right. So that was a big learning curve. Um, you know, one of the things that we've always believed in, I come from, you know, Procter & Gamble, huge marketing company, branding marketing company, 
And we, Rob and I've always believed that, you know, you've got to really have a good marketing strategy and you really have to have a good mission statement, really know what your core is. And that's one thing P&G taught me. And it's one thing Rob's learned because he's like, he's, if you look at his LinkedIn, he's got more followers now than Built Worlds, right? He's very good at marketing. He's very good at being upfront and talking to the news and people. And so those are two things that we thought, you know, in order for us to make it, you're going to be able to have to reach those construction um, consumers. And it's going to be tough because they don't, they're adverse to any type of um, software or any type of technology. Yeah. So you really have to have that compelling story, right? And I think yeah. that's why Combinator helped us because they helped us um, hone in on that story, hone in on, you know, what is our, um, you know, where we were going. And we'd had some great help from a company, uh, Milo Tango, who the, um, the brand manager um, in his team were just really good at helping us um, think through that. Like our logo was developed early on. Your logo, people don't understand that your logo is more than just something that represents your company. It's the colors, It's there's so much that goes into creating your brand. Um, and so we did that early on and we had lots of compliments from you know investors all the time. Like, boy, you guys really know what you're building and why. And so I think Y Combinator just honed that in even more. And then we learn to work as a founder together. It is, it is doing a startup is very, very difficult. And there's good, bad, and ugly. And the fact that Rob and I knew each other for many years, Rob worked for me. Now I'm working for him. So there's nothing we don't know about each other. And it's hard, you know, you've got- Yeah, startups, uh, as uh, startups always, they say that startups have a 95% failure rate. So you, in, order to, in order to just be part of that 5%, you have to, overcomes many different hurdles particularly you know uh, like how the one important thing is making sure like the partners have good synchronicity to, in working together and they don't have any conflict along with they have to be competent in what they do to be able to you know grow this business grow yeah. the business going going forward because i think one example of starves where they feel they just there's a lot of people out there that take advantage of their of their founders or they just decide to you know they just use the startup as a vehicle to for to funnel their own party dreams or something <laughs> but it's all but that's kind of what i've noticed like how, like what was the journey like in terms of like the process with y combinator oh it was good i mean i i think right before y combinator we had just done a tv show meet the drapers and Tim Draper was a big blockchain guy, but he he had this uh, TV show. It's like a mini Shark Tank, and so you get on there and you pitch your stuff, and people vote on you. And part of that was a crowdfund, and so we were part of a crowdfund, which was absolutely great experience. And so before we got into Y Combinator, we were already starting our raise. So I think that's why it was a little bit easier us for us with Y Combinator because we went in knowing our brand, who we are, what our mission statement was. What we really needed to hone in on is what was our product we we're going to deliver. And we were focused on too many products. Uh, and then um, what was going to be, um, you know, our sales and go to market strategy as far as taking that one product um, to market. And so I think that helped us a lot honing in on it. And then your pitch to, uh, you know, not being afraid to pitch to anybody. You know, you've got to have you've got to have your pitch down. You've got to practice it. You've got to have an elevator speech and then a bigger deck. So I think that's what White Combinator taught us. I mean, we spent two years. I think we applied the third time we applied, we got in. So it's congratulations. It's all it's always a repeat process that that yeah. that will determine your success at the end. 
Yeah. Yeah, but but yeah, let's shift gears and talk more about like more into your into DigiBuild itself. So I think I've already said that earlier, but let's just say I've been mostly talking about the outside of DigiWorld, like sure. the, the external dynamics. Now let's talk more about the internal dynamics. Yeah. Let's say for you know one thing I've seen about construction is that it is one of the slowest industries to evolve, and it's I mean along with education because you know it's very bureaucratic, a lot of different things happening. So where is it that DigiBuild is looking to really change that trajectory in the, in the coming years? Uh, well, I think that we're, we have one of the largest supplier databases in the globe, and we're continuing to build our relationships with those key stakeholders because without them, we would never be able to you know, service our customers. And so uh, we don't ask suppliers to do anything. We, we let them get on our platform for free. In fact, we're building out some services for them to help them um, you know, be able to expand their reach, build their customer base. So there's some really cool things we're doing um, to help them in that area. Um, so, so I think that that's that's a big game changer for us is those deep relationships we have with suppliers. We're also now identifying within our system. Um, we're going to have the largest um, database of sustainable suppliers, and also have a database uh, identified of who are minority and women-owned supplier ba database. So. That's really important uh, when you think about all the Build Back Better, all the infrastructure money that's come to the U.S., companies from overseas trying to get here and they've got their own money and support. Um, there's this huge change that's happening that you've got to have some type of sustainability mission statement. You really got to hone in on, you know, do you have certain certifications, you know, and you, you will not get loans and you will not get access to projects if you do not have those planned out. So we're helping construction companies to understand that. We're educating them on it. Uh, we're providing some of the best suppliers in those markets so that they can start checking their boxes. Hey, we're working with DigiBuild. They're digitizing you know, the, uh, the industry, and which means way less paper, way less waste out there. But on top of that, they're supporting this other network of uh, sustainability um, and then on top of that, um, one of the things that we have from a social impact is that one of our partners who does all this, these services and things that we're providing to our suppliers um, is Emancipate. And Emancipate is what powers all those services we're providing. And they are an institution, a nonprofit institution that um, takes trafficked women uh, from Latin America, yeah, all over Asia, and they put them through college, and then they set them up to do the this back-end business, supporting suppliers and other business owners, construction companies. So it's very so. What you're doing is a very mission-oriented thing, where you're trying. Right. Like, so most of these people that are using your application, these are people from all over the world. Like especially, tra you said trafficked women who now have an education and now looking to really just operate some of these companies, help out, help provide support to some of these companies. That's correct. Construction yep. companies in a way. Yeah, and it's it's really on the supplier side we're doing that because right now there's a lot of suppliers that they don't know how to market themselves. They don't know how to do social media. They don't know how to do reach outreach and LinkedIn. They don't know how to get their sustainability message out there. So we're using uh, Emancipate to help them. So we connect them with Emancipate and they work with Emancipate and Emancipate does that for them. 
So that's part of that ecosystem where we're trying to build deep relationships with global suppliers to support the construction industry. Because the construction industry needs lower cost, product delivered faster, they need um, sustainable products, right? So okay. to do that, we have to have these deep relationships with suppliers. So that's what we're really feverishly working on right now. Like who is your number, who's your main supplier right now? Oh my goodness, I, I don't know if we have a main supplier because it's uh, it depends on the market where you're at. I mean, we, we work across life sciences, hospitality, commercial construction, real estate um, development. Um, we're getting into oil and gas. Uh, we've got some stuff from the railroad industry that's asking for certain supplies. So it just depends on, you know, what the product is, right? So, I mean, the big ones out there that you're always been like L&W and we actually work with, sometimes we can find the best product at Home Depot. Because we can do so many bids for a takeoff, which is that material list that you get from a, a blueprint, because we can get so many bids, we save companies lots of money and we could do it faster than they could ever think of. So, so for us, it's, we don't care who it is, um, but we want to build deep relations. So the suppliers who want to do real business with us and want more, they give us some of the best pricing. So that's the other cool thing is we can negotiate some pricing because we're helping them uh, grow their business. And why is it that people want to trust DigiBuild as a way to build, uh, as a way, as, as their platform to use to be able to be happy about their work? Because you've mentioned before that construction companies, they really struggle. They really struggle to have happy Happy, uh, like happy workers, happy employees, yeah, healthier, but then yeah. healthier employees. But how is DigiBuild doing things differently that can that convinces these people? Okay, you know, a lot of the, as you mentioned before, these people are rigid in their thinking. They're just they want to do yeah. things their way. But how is it? It's penetrating through that. Well, one is you had mentioned earlier about we're taking the stress off by managing some of those workflow processes. But um, the biggest thing that we're doing is driving transparency. So 24-7, the owner, the general contractor, the project manager, the supplier, the subcontractor can all get in the system and 24-7 can see exactly what's happening with that product, where it's into the process, all the conversations, all the emails, all of that comes through our, our product. And, and we don't really talk about this right now because people get confused of blockchain and crypto, but because our, our uh, software is built on blockchain, there is a transparency there that marks down, hey, this was set on this date, this happened on this date. So there's ledger of everything that happened in order that is not disputable, right? You can't dispute it because it happened. Yeah, you can't fudge. You can't fudge the data like how you can do with a okay. traditional application. Like blockchain is, you basically got it stored in a you got it stored in the ledger. You have all the data right there, and whatever you portray the data, that it is what it is. That's exactly right. So it is driving transparency, but even just that visibility, right? That transparency and visibility that someone can get on. I mean, owners now are becoming very interested in. The, the developers who are providing all the money, the banks who are providing the money, the lawyers, the architects, everybody, even pre-construction now are super interested because they see how this can help build their capacity, but also they have visibility to what's going on. Right now, you know, you'll have one per, one company right now has four people fully dedicated to go out and look for all the pro, uh, supplies, talk to all the suppliers, keep track of all the pricing, the dates when the bids expire, when they're supposed to order, if there's any change in their system or on the project timeline, they have to go back and change all that. We're on our system. We do that automatically. You give us a project update and dateline. We'll tell you, hey, all these are going to expire. Uh, bids are going to ex um, expire here. Oh, by the way, you changed your date. 
So you're not going to have this product in this time because that's a six month out there. We'll go out and bid and see if anyone can deliver it sooner. Those are the types of things, the stresses that you're talking about in the industry that we help alleviate. alleviate. And that's why we say healthier. There's a lot of mental health in this and people are happier when things are delivered on time and under in under budget. We just want to be on budget. <laughs> are you looking to solve solely on the construction workers or just the cut or the overall company itself? Um, well, for us, you mean? Yeah, for you, for DigiBuild. Is DigiBuild looking to solve the mental health issues solely for construction workers or everyone in the whole in the whole? Uh, well, everybody in the procurement process, right? Anybody that touches procurement, you know, that's who we're helping right now. Eventually there's other products and other things down the road that we want to do, but we're solely focused right now on procurement because that's the, the number one issue that's out there. I mean, our roadmap's pretty exciting. Rob's has great vision. It scares people when he starts talking about what he wants to do in the future, but absolutely we've got a roadmap. And one of the things that we're looking at is one of our investors actually had brought this up is, you know, not only do we want to be able to procure uh, materials and supplies, but maybe there's an opportunity to procure services, right? So in life sciences, there's some really critical services that we'll add to our database because they have to have, them. they have to go in and check boxes and say, okay, yeah, you can put this product in here now. Um, but even just uh, from, from services, but also from a standpoint of you think about carbon credits, wouldn't it be amazing if you could, if you were a construction company and you could buy or procure carbon credits on a system, um, you know, to lower your costs of, of doing business. So, so partnering with those suppliers who are using sustainable products who have carbon credits, it's, it would be absolutely amazing to be able to do that. So where do you see the future of this company going forward? I mean, are you, are you looking to tackle all different, all kinds of constructions or the, do you have like a particular niche you're focused on? What's your... We're across, we're, we're across all industries within construction. Like I said, life sciences, um, we're in, um, you know, hospitality, we're in general construction, um, even chip manufacturers, you know, we can do stuff there. We can do it for life sciences, uh, real estate developers, oil, gas, you know, city development. Um, we're working in Miami and we're part of the Miami tech scene and really changing, you know, how to go to market down there with, you know, technology and and uh, counties and states and really making a difference in how they procure materials, making it more transparent, um, getting lower costs for them. Wouldn't that be great to be able to give the taxpayers back, you know, something for, you know, all these infrastructure stuff that they get, like making their dollars go further. So those are some of the things that Rob in particular is working on uh, with some of the, um, you know, administration down there, government administrations. Yeah, in your, uh, I just want to ask some other questions. Like, um, in your opinion, what is the biggest misconception Conception people have about digitization and construction, how it can be addressed? Their biggest misconception. Um, I don't think they, I think they think that it's going to take, that their ROI on the time they spend learning a software isn't going to be worth their time. Um, so I think that's, that's a big one. We get that all the time. That's why we've adopted, we actually give a ROI every month to the customer. And, and now we're going to start it weekly. Hey, this week we saved you you know, 50 man hours of going out and tracking all the supplies for you, right? We just saved you, you know, a hundred thousand dollars on materials because we were able to bid different places. 
So I think that's the thing is just showing them it's really not that difficult. And once you get on there, um, you're going to rate the benefits your ROI is going to go and you're going to save mar you're going to increase your margins for sure. All right, cool. And uh, last, so I think we're going to wrap up this uh, amazing conversation by asking this one final question, which is since you've been in the management space, the construction space and the startup space, like what advice would you give to people out there who want to really make something of themselves, either both, both men and women? Yeah, I think. I think that, um, you know, I get asked the question a lot, how did you move from these huge companies like Procter & Gamble and Starbucks and make that switch over into a startup? And in fact, a startup that, that you know very little about, you know, an industry. And I think it's those core, those core, those core skill sets that you learn along with life, first of all, is knowing yourself, right? So I'm a big believer in strength finders. So understanding what your strengths are and really um, not focusing so much on your the things that you're not strong at. We get we are so negative on ourselves, right? We're we're our number one enemy, right? So really focus on what your, your strengths are. And those strengths can be taken to any industry anywhere. So don't be afraid to move from one complete industry into another field. Because if you know yourself, you know your strengths, those strengths can be used anywhere. All right, cool. April, thank you so much for coming on the Next in Time podcast and looking forward to seeing DigiBuild really change the construction industry for the, in the coming years. Thank you so much for having me.